You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to Peter, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against Jesus during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the same spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him, he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Let's pray together. Oh, and before we do that, this is the word of the Lord. Now let's pray together. Father, I do thank you so much for my brother Rusty. I thank you for our partnership in the ministry over the years. I thank you for his love for me, for this church, for this city, uh, and his love for you. That is so evident that I know that as a result of your love for him. I pray that right now that you would speak clearly through him, that he'd be a conduit of your love in the life of each person that is here today and listening online. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, it's great. Oh, I, I feel really loud. Give it a second and turn it down. All right. It's great to be here. I just love you guys. I love this church. I know that I don't know as many of you now that are in this room, maybe as I would have seven, eight years ago, but I uh, love this place. And one of the reasons I love this place is because it's a vision of being the church when you can hear a text like this and not hear it as just to a preacher or to a pastor. Right? So I don't want you to hear me just like that, but as a fellow disciple and to hear this text this way, that we believe that we are all called to not only be disciples, but as a part of being a disciple, that is to make disciples. So that, so no matter who you are in here today, if you are in Christ, then you have this call to be a part of seeing that the people of God, the sheep of God are fed and grow. And it's great being a part of a church that believes that you don't just pay a few professionals to do the work of the ministry. And that we own that together as a body, that we get to be a part of the glorious mission of God. 
That we get to be a part of the messy and yet beautiful body of Christ. Now, this is my first time preaching in a few months because I've, I've taken a little break, a little rest, a little refresh. And so hopefully I'm not out of sync. But I've had a great three months, what you call a sabbatical, which is just an extended time of rest for a pastor after seven years. And it's the first time I've did it after doing this for 21 years. And it's been great. This is a great way to end it. But it didn't start out great. All right. Somebody gave Jared a shirt earlier, I think, that said, Pastor warning, be careful. Anything you say can be used in a sermon. So here, here's one of those deals. Hopefully, if this is being recorded, it doesn't get back because this is this is not going to be a funny story. But anyway, so a week or so before I began this this season of rest, uh, someone that I deeply loved and cared about and considered to be a close friend decided to leave our church. And again, don't hear this as me from the perspective of a pastor, preacher. This is a person. And it's always sad, but this was somebody, again, I deeply cared about. He was in our DNA. He was in our missional community. We had shared deep and intimate things together about parenting and marriage. And, and you know, like you guys, I think, have been training and do just the deep emotions of your heart. And, you know, this, that creates a special bond. And a special level of trust. We had prayed over this person and their family in our missional community's family meals. I'd been to their home as they were undertaking certain things to, to engage them in prayer and conversation. And he had even agreed to lead our DNA while I was on sabbatical. And then again, a week or so before I began this time, decided to leave. But it wasn't just that he decided to leave that happens. I, I found out through a letter that he shared on GroupMe. And it just broke my heart. And it made me just think, was, was any of that relationship real? And maybe I'm more cynical and jaded than you guys are. But then I started to think, is any of this stuff real? I mean, you can be friends with somebody, and then all of a sudden something happens and it's just over. Does this stuff work? This family, being in community together. I mean, church, I mean, is it really worth it? And then sometimes you're not on the receiving end of that. But if we're honest, we're on the giving side of that. Where we find ourselves hurting other people. It's easy just to think, what's the point? Maybe this stuff doesn't work, this church stuff. And then because we really shouldn't think like that, we start to think, does this Jesus stuff work? It's just, I was so sad and, and I was so mad. I, I just want to ask you, what's your story? Have, have any of you ever got to the point where you thought, what's the point? Why even try? Why even do this? I mean, I can find a church where I can just slide in on a Sunday morning. Nobody's going to ask me a lot of questions. I can just slide back out. And then I can have some Christian friends who along the way I engage in a relationship that's convenient to me and doesn't have to go any deeper than I want it to and can hit eject without having to have had made any commitment. You ever felt like, sign me up for that. 
I don't want to get hurt, and I don't want to hurt other people anymore. We got into this thing maybe because we had a vision of like really being a community and having a mission that Jesus gives us that's more than the Sunday, that touches all of life. You know, we can be so motivated by that mission and so motivated in our love for it or even love for the church and this theoretical idea of community. But if we're going to keep going and following Jesus, then as good and as motivating our love for our neighbors is and our church is, we're going to need something more powerful. A love for the church and a love for the mission will not keep you going to the end. We can all wrongly think that it can power us to persevere. Right? I just got to work up more love. More love for people. More love for this mission. Read another book on the church. Attend another conference. Do another training. Learn how to do this MC thing better. Learn how to do this DNA thing better. And one day, finally, I'll get this experience of love that I thought I would get. Well, that might get you started, but I don't think it's going to get you finished. Not when the mysteries of life come. Not when the mysteries of life come. Those surprises when you're like, I did not sign up for this. If we are powered by others' love, then we will find ourselves not having the power to love. Let's say that again. If you are powered, if you are motivated by the love that you receive from others or your love for them, then you are going to find yourself unable to actually love people. And you will think the only option for you to continue to stay sane or to grow is to not put yourself in a position to love people. Now, you can keep going. You can perform. You can go through the motions. You can serve to scratch that itch and check that box, but you will not love. So how do we go on? Well, the good news is we're not alone. We got Peter here, right? Knucklehead number one, right? Who love, who, who just keeps falling all over his feet and he, but he keeps coming back, right? All right. So probably should be careful saying this, but we're going to call it, but be a bunch of Peters in here today. All right. <clears throat> Disciples, we get disillusioned. We get disinterested. We get defeated. We deny Jesus, we doubt him, and yet we here have a story, there's hope for folks like us. If we figure out a deeper motivation than love for the kingdom, the mission, the church, but a love of Jesus himself, and a love from him. This whole book of John largely is about Jesus' encounters with people along the way and how he loves them in light of their brokenness and their need. And we get one last story at the end. Some people call this the epilogue to the gospel of John. I mean, Jesus already risen. All the other gospels just end the thing. It's over. But in this one, we got one more thing, right? How about people on the other side of the resurrection <laughs> who still having trouble getting it? And we find this calling to be motivated by the power of a love for Jesus if we are to make it in a life for Jesus. I want to say that in another way. A love for Jesus, not a life for Jesus. 
powers the mission of Jesus. How do we do this? The first thing, we've got to face Jesus in the shadow or the consequences or the darkness of our old old previous powerless loves that motivated us, right? That old love for the mission, right? Sign me up for a church that does real discipleship, right? Sign me up for something more than a Sunday. We love that. We want it all about it. And it, we just say, that ain't going to get me in the next place. So what happens here to Peter? Well, we know Peter, what happened there. I'm going to reference the whole chapter. Peter was a faithful, committed follower of Jesus. At least he was with his mouth all the time. He was a guy who was willing to, to fight for Jesus. He's cutting folks' ears off when they're coming after him. He's saying, I, they, all these other chumps might deny you, but not me. I'm one of the serious ones, right? I'm not just a Sunday morning attender. Put me in the MC. Put me in the DNA. Give me opportunities to serve. I'll be the, I'll open the doors. I'll close the doors. That was Peter. You don't need to wash my feet, Jesus. That should have been a sign, right? Well, it's coming. I got this. I'm not like these other guys. And Peter did great. Until his vision for how the story was supposed to go got wrecked. When Peter's ideas of Jesus and his mission and his kingdom were crushed, he folded. He was faithful as long as Jesus kept the script he had for his story. Some of you, right, you did all the right things. Some of you right now, you're like, I'm doing all the right things. I'm saying all the right things. I'm making all the right commitments. And guess what? Surprise and mystery and hardship is coming. And Peter folded. And we might not outright deny Jesus, but some of us have other ways of doing that. I mean, we're in the religious South, we're so good at figuring out how to go through the motions while our hearts are just growing hard and calloused. Those doubts, those disillusionments, we just let fester. And we become cold and dead on the inside. And now Jesus is risen. And Peter knows this in his head. I mean, he can see him. But we got to think there's maybe still this ache in his heart. What now? Here I was, tough guy. And now I'm the denier. What do I do? And so one thing Peter does, he says to these guys at the beginning of this chapter, they're just sitting around. Let's go fishing. (laughs) Now, why might Peter want to go fishing? Because that's what Peter knows, right? That was his life before. And when we get disillusioned, when we have these fallouts, what are we tempted to do? I'm just going to go do what I know. Right? It's going to go back to what I know. Just do life as usual. You know, what else is there for me? That's what we got that thing when we lose our place in the story. Some of it's more functional. Some of it's destructive. But it's at least what we know. But the good news in this text is, is somebody's going to go fishing for Peter. The fisher of men shows up on the scene. It's debatable here, but it seems that in their their failure to catch things through the night, there's this this grace of like this old life just doesn't have it. (laughs) It just doesn't cut it anymore. Peter sees Jesus is on the shore. He dives in. I mean, you got to love it. He's still wild Peter, isn't he? 
I mean, you would think he's like, maybe I ought to stand back. But it's, it's, it's good. He's got this bold sort of like, I'm just going after this again. And he gets to the shore and you can read this. Uh, we don't have time to read it all. And, and he's bringing in this great haul of fish or they brought it in, of course, because Peter's left them to do all the work, right? And, uh, and again, but then when he gets up there and when Jesus can see it's time to work, the text says that Peter goes to unload the fish. I mean, you just kind of think he's going to impress Jesus. Look, Jesus, I'm still the most passionate. I'm still the hardest working. And Jesus is just not impressed. He's just not impressed. And he makes breakfast for him. And what an amazing act of grace. He's there once again to serve Peter. And to show Peter what's got Peter this far is not going to get him the rest of the way. So back to my tales of being broken by the own, my own faults, loves, or affections. Hannah, who's a girl in our missional community, she named it the murder board. So if Dallas Willard says the height of spiritual maturity is loving your enemies, I'm about to show you the low of spiritual maturity from my own life. So uh, some of you know when we moved to uh, to plant a church, we intentionally have have moved our family into one of the tougher neighborhoods uh, that's riddled with addiction and uh, poverty and homelessness, just all kind of things. We moved right in the middle of it. We love living there. We love our neighbors, and we moved there to love our neighbors. And early on, before we got a fence put up, we were getting a lot of things stolen, particularly bicycles. So I don't know if it's like that, it, but it's your... In, in this, in our, in our neighborhood, there's a lot of pride goes into the bicycles, right? It's a primary mode of transportation for a lot of folks. And so one of my sons had kind of a nice bicycle. It got stolen. I told that story here before. I'm not going to tell that story. I'm going to tell another story. This one's about a ladder. So my brother gave me one of his ladders to use. It's a good ladder. And we got, you know, again, we've got a fence put up, but we didn't put up a hard fence. We put up a, in, in Tennessee, y'all might call it that here to in Arkansas, we call it hog wire. So anyway, we got a hog wire fence right here in the middle of the city because we, we don't want it to look like we don't want to see and interact with our neighbors. All right? Yeah. And uh, things can get over it or in as you're about to hear, even pit bulls to impregnate my dog. And anyway, uh, but my brother gave me this ladder and one day I didn't put it up and I, I come outside, my ladder's gone. I was going to clean the gutters or do something, and I saw on this back part of the fence where somebody had found a way to jump up. It was kind of pushed down, get the ladder. And, you know, I don't know, something about theft just makes me mad. A lot of grace. I'm going to show you at the end of this where I'm the crazy person. But uh, but Cassie and I, my wife, we were out for a walk one night, and we were just literally a stone's throw from here to the back of the, the building to where a house, kind of kind of known to be a drug house, and I'm, we're walking up by it, and there's my ladder just laying out in her front yard. I mean, not even, not even, don't even care, right? Just bold. And so, you know, we're very comfortable there. Again, we love it. I'm not saying this to be negative at all, but I just walk up and pick the ladder up, and some guy's on the front porch, and I'm like, get in my ladder. And, uh, and he's just like, oh, okay. Uh, like he didn't know what was going on. And he, he's, he told me some, Travis, this other guy sold it to him, but whatever. Uh, now, 
was mad. This was three bicycles stolen later, and now the ladder. I mean, you get in your flesh. You're like, we moved here because we love you guys. You know, why why you keep stealing our stuff? And and so so I knew this weak spot in the fence. And so this is this is where you're going to see like who's the real crazy person who has more issues is I thought, you know, I I need I got to stop this from happening. And so I knew we had this pe- long piece of plywood. And I thought I'm going to take that plywood, I'm going to run some screws up in it. And I'm going to put it at this place the back of our it's behind my shed where it's dark where they're getting over. There won't be no light and so when they jump over the fence their feet are going to get impaled. <laughs> so so some, some of you have the ring security camera, but I'd hook you up with the murder board. Uh, you know, it, it just seemed right. Now, who's got the issues, right? I'm, I'm worse than the ladder stealer by far. Now, here's the thing. How many sermons have I preached on loving your neighbor? I might have planted a whole church around the theme. It's called Matthew's Table, Right? That's what it's called, right? Everybody's welcome here. Whatever your past, whatever your story, come on to the table, right? Take our ladder if you want it, I guess. Until you mess with my story, until you mess with my dream, you're supposed to be getting saved, not stealing my ladder. And like Peter... I, I thought, I, I thought, and I still think I know way more than I do. I know emotionally healthy church. And then murder board comes out. That's not a chapter in that book. Life happens. And maybe again, I'm just different than you, and then we get crazy. And we're outside putting screws in a board to impale our neighbors. Because loving, loving the mission can't power the mission. So what's your murder board? What are the affections, the loves of the mission that just can't hold up to the hurt? We gotta own these things if we're to grow. Now I'm not saying they won't work for a while. I gotta get really hurt. They will. That's why we change our ideas so much. Right? Some of you will know what I'm talking about. Reform charismaticism. Yes, let's get all excited. Family integrated church and mission. Yeah. The four G's. Yes. MC's. Cross point ministries. Ten pan ministries. Ancient formational practices. What's next? Give me a new idea. Give me a new program. Give me a new book. I need something to excite me. I need something to put my energy into. They'll work for a while, but then you just got to come up with a new one. And I'm all about all those things, just so you guys know. I'm not being negative. I'm just saying those things cannot power the mission. There's no silver bullet. You're not going to think, there's the key. We gotta go swimming to Jesus like Peter. So this is the next thing. So the first thing you gotta do is you gotta figure out what are those powerless affections 
that I'm thinking will motivate me. The next thing is you've got to find Jesus as that most powerful affection. As a person. Notice in our, in our text, we come to what, what, when, when Jesus comes to Peter to restore him, Jesus does not say, do you still love the kingdom of God? Do you still love the mission? Do you still want to get results? Do you still, do you still believe in missional communities? Do you still believe in DNAs? No. He says, do you love me? That's the question for Peter and that's the question for you and me. Do you love me? Do you see me sitting here and not the things that I, you think I'm going to give you? Even if they're churchy things. Peter has lived off focusing on a life for Jesus. And now Jesus is calling him to a life focused on actually loving Jesus. It's interesting here. He calls him. He doesn't call him Peter. Do you notice that in the text? He calls him Simon, son of John. I, I, I think that's significant. That's his old name, right? That's like when you go home and you, you know, all of a sudden you're 10 years old again because your mom or dad's calling you by your full name. Nobody's ever called you. <laughs> it's humbling, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not looking at you here as the rock. I'm looking at you as Simon. How about you love me without that title? That title did not give you the power to make it on this mission. So many of us think growing in the Christian life means I'm going to get some kind of title. Those are well and good, I guess. But they're not going to empower you when those mysteries and hardships of life come. You ever heard of those pastors? You gotta love these pastors who guilt everybody into showing up to everything when they're leading it. Right? And then as soon as they're not a pastor, you barely get them to show up on Sunday morning anywhere. <laughs> MC leaders, DNA leaders, yeah, it's getting quiet. You know what I'm saying, right? If I ain't leading it and I don't have a title, everybody else ought to be at everything. But now I need to heal. That's probably too much on that last part. And then Jesus calls him to compare to this matter of comparison. He says, do you love me more than these? There's a lot of debate over what this is about. Is it the fish? Do you love me more than what you think is a safe, stable way of life? Maybe. We also know, we read in context, the other disciples are sitting there. And Jesus may be here a little tongue-in-cheek saying, do you love me more than these? Because that's what you went around saying all the time before. <laughs> and then there's the charcoal. Now, if you're, if, that, if you're lost to that detail, when Peter made his three denials, very explicitly in John, it doesn't just say he was standing around a fire. He says he was standing around a charcoal fire. So Jesus here, tender and tough, is making him smell his denials. 
He's sitting there and Jesus is looking at him saying, do you love me? How many times does he ask him? How many times did he deny him? Smell the charcoal. Relive it. And this is why it says Peter. Peter's hurt that he keeps, he's doing this. But I don't think Jesus is here to shame Peter. He's wanting Peter to see like you do not have the power to do this. In your flesh. And after each time he says, do you love me? Then he says, feed my sheep. Now, this is important to this point. Is There's an order here that matters. Whatever you think you're called to do in terms of being a follower of Jesus, to make disciples, to love others in your everyday life, your job or ministry, loving Jesus comes first. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. If you go out and you try to feed sheep without loving Jesus, I don't know what we're doing, but it won't last. We moved here in 2014. It's a crazy story. I, I want to make say it to to sound like I'm. We did something great because again, it's going to show my heart. But we we were literally sold like everything we had. I moved in with another guy that was here and lived. Finally, convinced Allen Engineering to give me a job and had to live here. Didn't have enough money to get a house. Last minute, wife gets a job teaching Paragold High School. Move here. Uh, why? Why would you do that? We thought we finally found a church that has it figured out. They should start getting funny now, right? Like, like we're going to go somewhere where they have it all together. I, I was looking back to the video, trying to find the video that was made like one year in where it's talking about how awesome it is. And I actually found the video of the first MC I was in doing the Harlem Shake. Some of y'all are in it. But anyway, uh, I mean, we, we wanted to come somewhere where it was real. Real church, real discipleship. And, I, and then I found myself working in this factory, trying to provide for my family. I'm being trained. i got to be careful because y'all know folks. Anyway, I'm being trained by this eight-year-old, fill in the blank. I've got this other cantankerous who knows how old person follow me around, making sure I didn't knock everything over with a forklift. And I was just so mad, like I moved halfway across the country for this, and then I'm, I don't want to say too much, but at least to our video standards, our MC wasn't what you'd call perfect, uh, or our DNAs, and, and then, you know, part of the process here was you're just a member of the church, and so it's like, man, I'm not, what are we doing here? And by those pallets in that bay, I kid you not, I, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I sensed Jesus saying, do you love me? Huh? I moved halfway across the country for you. No, no, no. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? You don't need a title to do that. You don't need to be working for a church to do that. You don't need Jared or Luke to come tap you on the shoulder to do that. And when I got reoriented around a love for him, it changed everything. I can take my coworkers out to lunch and ask them their story. 
I can love the folks in my missional community and who they're seeking to serve. I can take initiative. I wouldn't trade anything for that lesson. What's what I learned here through Jared, Chuck, and others is that a love for missional communities or whatever it is, a love for the church will not grow the kingdom, but only a love for Jesus. We have got to experience Jesus as a person, not a program and not a plan, as the most powerful love of our heart. That's the only way you're going to last. Whatever you're facing right now, whatever you're trying to overcome, whatever you're trying to persevere through, you've got to hear him sitting down, looking you in the eye and saying, do you love me? Keep focused here. What got you to this point will not get you the next let lead to the next way. One commentator, N.T. Wright, says this. Here is the secret of all Christian ministry. Yours and mine, lay and ordained, full-time, part-time, whatever it is. It's the secret of everything from being a quiet, back-row member of a prayer group to being a platform speaker at huge rallies and conferences. If you're going to do any single solitary thing as a follower and servant of Jesus, this is what it's built on. Somewhere deep down inside, there is a love for Jesus. And though goodness knows you've let him down enough times. He wants you to find that love. He wants to give you a chance to express it, to heal the hurts and failures of the past and give you a new work to do. And we don't do them to earn forgiveness. Nothing can ever do that. It's grace from start to finish. It's love. And when we live into that love, now we're ready to face the storm. Now when the mysteries come, And the surprises, we know what we're holding on to is not anything connected to those things. Our dreams of mission and community can can all be dashed, but our love for Jesus stays strong because He is there. Henry Nouwen says this related to this text. I love this. This is good. He says, we have to hear this question as being central to all of our Christian life because it's the question that can allow us, hear this, to be at the same time irrelevant and truly self-confident. Imagine that. It can be irrelevant to people. And I can be self-confident in my life. This leads us into this last point that i got to hit on. Might make you miss a song, but I'm a guest speaker. So, all right. Take it up with Jared. All right. The last thing is we... We really can only do this not out of our love for Jesus, but most only his love for us. All right. Here's the gospel. Verses 18 and 19. He says, now, Peter, now you're going to go and die for me. Isn't this great? Peter had already said he could do it before, but he couldn't. He couldn't die for Jesus when he was living for Jesus But now that he's reoriented to actually love Jesus and not his ideas of the mission or the church, he actually will be able to. Because you don't die for an idea or a program or a personality. You die for a person. In the power of love for Jesus, Peter will be able to hear the same command he heard before. We see here in verse 19, follow me. You know, we never outmature that command. But we got to hear it again, don't we? All right, now that we've got things... Reoriented, follow me. And now where it gets a little hard, and we see Peter's a work in progress, even still, and we are 
verses 23 to 22, Peter's going to have to learn to let go not only of his control and let go of his commitment to follow other things in the name of Jesus. He's going to have to let go of comparison. So he's just been told, all right, follow me. Eventually, it's going to be a big sacrifice, but you can do it now. And then he's, and then Peter turns around and looks at John and says, well, what about him? And Peter, Jesus looks at him and said, you don't worry about him. I mean, it's what some of us doing here, right? Jesus, I'll sacrifice for you, but it's got to be fair. You're calling me to die for you? Tell me what they're going to have to do for you. Jesus says, what's that to you? If this guy lives forever, and John clarifies, he didn't mean that, but what's it to you? Some of you might be doing that right now. There's no power in knowing the future. There's no power in your intellect figuring out how does this all fare. There's only power and love. Now how in the world can Peter trust this love? How can he trust and love Peter this much? I mean Jesus this much? Because this is not a text that's mainly about Peter's love for Jesus. Who didn't give up on Peter? When he questioned everything. <laughs> Jesus. Who didn't deny Peter when Peter denied him? Jesus. Jesus said Peter... You're going to fail, but I've prayed for you. <laughs> Who went to the cross for Peter? We, I, I skipped this because of time, but I'm going to re- read it really quickly. Verse 18, he says, when, you, when you're young, you dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. Jesus said, it's going to happen to Peter. Who actually has already did that for Peter? And who has risen for Peter, came for Peter, cooked breakfast for Peter, restored Peter, and called Peter to feed his sheep? Jesus. And if you think I'm reading into this text, John wrote a letter and he said this, We love him because he first loved us. If you feel like, well, I can't keep up this love, just let relax into the love of Jesus. It's his love you. I've got to close this and skip a little things, but very quickly, I mentioned Henry now, and he was a professor at Harvard. He was training the best and brightest of the world. He was highly appreciated, respected, and growing in renown and reward. That's a life that works, right? Like, that's what we want. That's what Peter wanted, right? But then he left that life of promise to go serve with the Arch community. He went to work with people with mental handicaps and severe disabilities, And that's what he did for the rest of his life. People who couldn't care less about his degrees and were not impressed and who demanded more than they brought him any type of earthly glory. That that doesn't look like a good idea based on the world's standards. Now, how did he get there? He says at least one way was John 21. And he says this, we wrap this up. In this triple play conversation between Peter and Jesus, it made me help help me make that move from Harvard to La Arch. He says these words touch the core of Christian life and are spoken to offer us again and again new ways to let go of our power and our visions and follow the humble way of Jesus.
in the love of Jesus, you can go on. When you get that text message, that wrecks your day. When you get the message that that friend you love overdosed and died, that you thought was making a turn. When the marriage is around you, maybe even your own marriage feels like it's going to fall apart. And sometimes when it does fall apart. When you start to learn your story and all the hurts and wounds in it and tell the truth. And you don't know how you can face reality. When the anxiety of setting up by your bed at night is just too much and you don't think you can sleep. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak. But he is strong. That might sound childish. But we can make a life out of that. Father, thank you for the good news. of The love of Jesus. And we pray now as we sing in response to this gospel. That you would help us not merely to know it with our heads, but deep in our bones, in our hearts, in our wills, in our spirit. That we would be moved by your love for us to a life that says yes to our love for you. Not based on our own power, but on yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, brother. We are going to transition to a time of communion. And this is a time for us to tangibly remember the love of Jesus. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And that life can begin today. If you have received the love of God that has been poured out for you through Christ. If you surrender to that love, even if you're not a member of this church, you're welcome to come and partake of communion. I'm going to invite our servers to go ahead and come forward. And, and what we'll do is they'll tear off a piece of bread which represents the perfect life of Christ. That he lived on your behalf. And none of us have to be perfect. We don't have to sit in shame over our past failures or guilt or beat ourselves up. Because Christ lived a perfect life, we can now stand before God holy, blameless, and accepted. The bread will be dipped into the juice, which represents his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And again, if you, even if you're not a member of this church, if you've trusted in Christ, you're welcome to come forward in just a moment to receive communion this way. We also have some cups in the back if you prefer to take uh, communion that way. If you were here and you were not a Christian... It is not because you're too bad for Jesus. It's not because you've sinned too much. But it's only because you have yet to receive the gift of his love. And so today what we would ask of you is rather than receiving communion, receive Christ. Receive his love. Receive his presence. All you have to do is just ask him. You just have to say where you are that Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin has separated me from you. I know that even on my best day that I only deserve hell. And yet because of what you have accomplished for me, because of your great grace, I know that I can be forgiven of all of my sin, past, present, and future. And Jesus, right now, I ask that you would come into my life, that you would make your presence known to me, that you would forgive me of my sin, that you would make me whole, that you would redeem me, that you would bring me into a relationship with you.
And if you've prayed that prayer this morning, maybe for the first time, whether you're online or here in person, I would encourage you to come and talk to me, talk to someone else. We have a prayer team in the back corner. They would love to connect with you, and they can pray for you as well. With that, let's stand. I will pray over our time. We'll take communion and sing one final song. And then after you take communion, if you would like to give, you're welcome to give at this time as well. Father, I do thank you so much. you love us so much that you gave us your son. I pray that this gospel news would would never become old. I pray that today that you would rekindle the first love, that there's someone maybe in this room that one time they had such a passion for you, a love for you, that it didn't matter about a title, it didn't matter how much money they had in their bank account, it didn't matter. None of that stuff mattered. I just knew that what mattered the most is that they had a relationship with you. And I pray that, that maybe over time for some of those that that passions begin to wane. Or maybe there's some in here that's never had it. And I pray that you would just minister to each person in a unique and special way today. That even as we partake of communion and we, we receive it, that we would feel and experience your love in a new and tangible and fresh way today. And it's in Christ's name I pray and ask these things. Amen.